0: Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, your hostess with the mostest, guide from the side, and mistress of ceremonies. As a somatic sex coach, I believe that pleasure, connection, and authentic expression are a function of safety. My desire for this platform is to normalize topics that have been thought of as unsafe or shameful. Conversations around sex, money, trauma, spirituality, loss. These are the conversations that shape us. When we approach these exchanges with curiosity, compassion, nuance, and a dollop of humor, we create room for people to feel seen and heard in both their unique and collective experiences. In other words, this is a soft place to have hard conversations. I'm so honored to have you here. Shall we commence? It's me again, Kristen, popping in to check on you and see how the first part of this conversation has landed for you. If you clicked on this one first, there's really, there's really no reason to (laughs) listen to these episodes in any particular order. You are going to be touched and enraptured and inspired and um, probably a bit tearful, no matter what order you listen in. So if this is the first episode that you're listening to, welcome. If you are listening to this as part two, welcome back. I just wanted to take a minute to briefly introduce you to our beautiful guest, Kiana Reeves. She is a somatic sex educator, a sexological body worker, pelvic health practitioner, full spectrum doula, mother of two, and the chief brand officer of Foria. So as you can imagine, this woman has actually been on my list of dream guests to converse with since about halfway through the first season of this podcast, and I definitely imagined us having a very different conversation when she first came onto my radar. And so it actually delights me in such a profound way that I was able to get to know her so intimately through such a unique and beautiful experience And I am so grateful for the opportunity to share her with you and to share her in this way. Um, One thing I definitely felt sure of after concluding this conversation is that she will be back for many other things. But I really, I really found my time with her to be so nourishing on every level. At this point, I have interviewed, you know, over fifty people. I've had um, the the podcast has over fifty episodes out, and there is a a big difference in speaking with someone who is so completely embodied, like looking at Kiana and. Talking to her, having her talk back to me. Like she was so grounded and in her body. And that is something that I could see in her eyes and hear in her voice and just feel in the resonance of her presence. And it does not hurt at all that she is also a beautifully eloquent speaker and storyteller. And I'm just so deeply grateful that she entrusted this sacred experience of her being present to and and serving her grandmother, who she loves so deeply, loved in her life so deeply, at the end of her life. And we talk about the cyclicality, like the poetic cyclicality of her caring for her grandmother, you know, changing her, bathing her, encircling her in her arms, cradling her, petting her hair in the way that her grandmother supported and loved and nourished her as a child. And there are so many moments. um, One thing that I, I have to just highlight here just a quote that she shared and it, it just it fell it just fell from her lips <laughs> and yet it has been echoing in my mind and in my heart and in my body as I've been as I've been invited to look at the way that I have grieved in the past and the way that I have approached death and loss in the past and it shifted me right now in the present. Um, even as I reflect back on those things, I'm able to look through this lens that she offered in one beautiful line. And she said that grief is the greatest illuminator of love. And you'll, you'll get to hear that part of the conversation. Um, but that's something that I will be carrying with me. That is a truth that resonated that I'll I'll be carrying with me for a very long time. So in this conversation, we dig into the similarities between the process of being born and the process of dying. We talk about allowing the depth of our grief to open us to the amount of love that is present in the same measure, um, allowing our children to witness the process of dying, nurturing those of us who have been left behind, and uh, really importantly, how death is our final invitation to deeply know one another, to deeply know someone at the end of their life and to also allow them to know us on a really deep level before they leave. And this is a conversation that will stay with me for a really long time. And I am so honored to be able to share it with you. Uh, As I said before, this is a conversation that is going to Continue on for this entire month of its release. Um, I'm releasing it at the at the end of January in the year of 2022. Whenever this finds you, <laughs> um, but for the next you know four weeks, we're going to be engaged in this conversation, sharing stories and remembrances and honoring memories and just being in. Ceremony with each other in this in this community as we go as we go through this together, so I really hope to hear from you I hope to hear how this conversation touched you, activated you, cracked you open, maybe gave you a new lens to look through this process um, with that is my deepest hope, and i'm grateful i'm grateful for for all of you for being here for listening for being open-minded and open-hearted and I'm going to let you get to my conversation with Kiana. Well, Kiana, welcome to Nothing Confidential. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you. I'm
1: so excited, and we're on the same page. Nothing Confidential. I always say I don't believe in TMI. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever
0: anyone says that to me, I'm like, Are you? Are you? Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know yeah. Each exactly. other at all. Yeah. Well, I was. I was just saying for the Nothing Confidential community. Kiana is an incredible human being who I have been following on Instagram for a couple of years, and have heard her have conversations about a lot of things that are in in alignment. Um, just for this community, what we talk about, she is incredibly sex positive, sexual wellness. Like she is actually works with and for Foria, which is not at all what we're talking about today, though. And so I'm kind of <laughs> excited because you are someone I've dreamt of having here, but for you're here today for a very different reason than I ever imagined you would be. So yeah. that feels exciting. It'll be juicy. I'm, I'm sure about it. Well, would you mind introducing yourself to the community? Just anything relevant that you want to share about yourself before we dive into a very unique conversation?
1: Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So formally my background and my bio is that I've been in birth work for over a decade, um, started out in the realm of sexual health and wellness actually in birth, and then transitioned into somatic sex education, sexological body work, uh, studied with some phenomenal teachers doing intravaginal pelvic scar tissue remediation, and um, from there have gotten highly involved in nervous system work and also relational and intimacy um, studies. And so, I kind of have a very vast breadth of the way that I look at sexuality and intimacy. Um, but I think outside of the formal background and bio, my heart is, is deeply, deeply with spirituality and with the way that we um, relate to the spiritual world and to each other on so many different levels that we're not usually in contact with in mm-hmm. Day to day awareness. So,
0: yeah. I love that. And that, I mean, you're a woman after my own heart. So many of those things are things that I also care really deeply about, really passionately about, and love creating the safety to have more of those conversations. You know, as someone who also works a lot with the nervous system in regards to its ability to hold charge and create safety for intimacy and staying in the body. And I think. Embodiment is a word that gets thrown around a lot right now, and it can feel Mm -hmm. a little buzzy. And when I'm talking about being embodied, it's talking about the safety to stay in your body. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a beautiful lead in because what we're talking about today is death, and death, and birth, and life, and orgasm, and like they're all so intricately woven together and connected. And yet, I think. I've seen, at least recently, people have in certain communities, I'll say this for a very long time, there are cultures who know how to properly honor birth and they understand that birth is connected to sex and sexuality and that pleasure can be a component. And there's all of these beautiful ways in which that can be tied together with practices and rituals. And I feel like The conversation as they make their way over here into our culture, they get very chopped up, right? They get very like separated and, and pulled apart. And I feel like death, especially just gets the boot. Like it is not connected to any of those other things. And yet I think emotionally, when we're going through that, it's something we don't think about or often talk about unless it's happening, unless Mm -hmm. someone we know is actively dying and I think as someone who has had, I mean, who has been very close and had very close loved ones pass away, I think that like in those moments, I do feel those kind of those pulls and the, the way in which the end of life has you looking at all of those other things. And so you recently had an experience um, that I'm going to let you share all about, um, but I thought that it would be, I want to offer the space to begin speaking about, thinking about, and honoring the process of transitioning out of this life as consciously and as much as we would, you know, in this community, we have those conversations around birth and around intimacy and relationship, but we never get around to the end of life.
1: Yeah. 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 I I think you touch on something interesting that's becoming more and more clear to me, which is Uh, there's this unique thread that tethers us to the truth of life and birth and sex are two ways to kind of enter that space. Death is another. And um, the thing about death is that it, it touches everything. It touches every single aspect of our life because it's, it's the one assured experience we're all going to have outside of being born and breathing Those are the three things that I realized in the process of being with my grandma while she passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very humbling. It's a very humbling experience to be a part of and hold space for and to witness. Um, And there's so much that we can pull apart, but I, I just think, you know, I've been, I remember this conversation I had like three years ago with someone at a dinner party and I realized my life is been devoted to the experiences of no escape. What are the things that, when you're in them so fully, you d- you can't really get out of them. The only way through is through um, psychedelics. Also belong in there as well, and it's those experiences that teach you so much about your capacity, the truth of who you are, um, what wants to emerge from you, what's really important to you, and I think death is one of the most profound teachers for that. Yeah.
0: So it was, it was your, your grandmother who transitioned. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Did you, was that always something that you planned on? Like, as long as you guys have had a relationship where you, you knew that you were going to be there for that part in, in this capacity, did you know that that's something you wanted to do and that you could do?
1: It's interesting. Yeah. I had always had the feeling almost like that intuitive Instinctual knowing that I would be there when she died. I thought it was going to look like me moving in with her for months and months and months and caretaking. Um, but it really was this five day period where we got a call from her caregiver that she had had a rapid decline and she was at home, uh, which I'm really grateful for because a lot of birth, like a lot of death, is very medicalized. And to be able to keep it at home in the field of hospice and in the field of family was such a unique experience. And I think we're starting to feel that in the birth world, you know, there's, there's birthing doulas, there's also death doulas, and we're starting to remember the importance of supporting the person who's going through that process in that experience, because it is Dying is hard, especially when it's not instant. It's not, you know, like an impact death or a sudden kind of tragedy. When someone's in the process of dying, it can be very long. Mm. And you're actually looking death in the face. And um, you can't escape that. And I think that can be very intimidating, even for people who are fully ready. And so, yeah, I I knew I was going to be there. Um, And as soon as I got there, as soon as I got the call, I just kind of told my uncles, you know, I'm setting up camp and we're not going to leave until she's fully passed. And it was, I don't know if you want to get into the details now, but it it was one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life. I was Mm -hmm. very, very, very close with my grandma um, she was like a second mom to me. She helped raise me and my sisters. She has deep, deep relationship with my sons. And she's very vibrant uh, woman full of so much vitality and really spent her life doing her own finding her own path and doing things that women her age were not doing. And so we had a, a unique relationship because she had that kind of like, passionate, stand outside the box, create your own mm-hmm. life. You know, that I really yeah. connected with her. Own.
0: She was an embodiment of things that you obviously grew to value. And I would say, even just from my limited um, exposure to your life that you're gracious enough to share online, like you very much are following in her footsteps in that way. Like one of the things that drew me to you so much was just the way that you share about how you do motherhood and how you do work and how you do pleasure and relationship and all of these different aspects and i i really am you know drawn to humans who are like yeah i don't really give a shit if this is what everybody else is doing like this is who my kid is this is who i am this is how i show up and operate and this is you know like this is what we're doing yeah. and just kind of it's like oh i'm sharing it with you like you don't have to get it um, but <laughs> This is what we're doing yeah so it's it's amazing to know like what a beautiful relationship and connection that you guys were able to have was she was she cognizant and aware of you being there were you guys able to spend time together and connect yeah the first couple of days so the the night we got the call, we believe she had a stroke and so
1: she went from being verbal to mostly nonverbal really fast um I think the first shocking piece around dying, especially when it's someone you've known your whole life who has been really capable, is that the physicality of it, you know, when someone starts to change and their abilities change. So she couldn't really talk. She could kind of mumble. She would get a few words out. Um, She looked very different. Her face went slack, her lips and her tongue went slack. And that that's a shock to whoever's witnessing and holding, you know, to know someone so well and to see them kind of their bodies start to fail. And there was such a gift within that because what started to happen over those next few days is her responsiveness came through her eyes and her smile in deep, deep, genuine uh, communication that Mm -hmm. felt transcendent of language. And it almost was better that she couldn't speak because when she would receive, we sat near her and we actually sang to her almost the whole five days. We held her hands, we, you know, stroked her head. Um, I really wanted to be involved in the, like, caring for her body. And so I stayed up with the caretakers and helped change her diaper. And I have, you know, moments that I'll treasure that I'll never forget because I watched my grandma who had taken care of me her whole life and had known me from the time I was in diapers, you know, and I got the gift of being able to return her to that space. And so I, there was moments where I was cradling her whole body and lifting her up and stroking her as she was in a lot of pain and her diaper was being changed, you know, or we were changing her nightgown and uh, just really witnessing the, the frailty and the changing of her body. And, um what what happened in those moments because there wasn't a real linguistic communication aspect to it I think started to transcend into places that were a lot more psychic communication I mean I really believe we have that capacity to Mm -hmm. communicate with each other it's it's an old ancient memory maybe um but it was really active in that space. And she, I mean, there was moments where she would look at me so clearly with her eyes saying nothing with her mouth. And I just felt a flood of, of information coming through. Like we were looking at each other locked eyes and like nodding. And I was, "Uh uh-huh. I get Mm it. I got you. I I know what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's so interesting that I mean, that we, that anyone would even argue that. I mean, there's so many other places in our life where I think at least people who are present and deeply attuned to one another, which Mm -hmm. that's a whole other conversation because many of us aren't for lots of reasons. There's a lot of distractions, but if you think about being in partnership and you think about like being a mother and having a child, like there are so many times when words cannot be used or they won't. I mean. I think about the fact that I have a child who's not even two and she can be across the room from me. We have people over, she's doing something that she knows she is not supposed to do. I literally catch her eye and she'll be like, she's like, I know <laughs> I, she knows, she knows the conversation. <laughs> yeah. She'll like, she'll like, do, she'll like question what I'm saying. And then I'll be like, mm. and she's like, yeah. okay, okay, okay. And then, and, you know, and being in partnership and, wanting to get out of a dinner party and not knowing how, and you like, shoot that look, the eyebrow across So It's like everything in your body language, everything that person knows you so well that they can pick up on the exact words you would use. They're like, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. You don't have to do anything else. It's like one eyebrow goes up and we know yeah. kind of what's going on. And so I just, I feel, and I, I felt that as you were describing that full circle, not in the way that people say that all the time, the most tangible sense of being full circle like having a cycle like going through the the entire cycle of a life like having her care for you as an infant and then being able to return her body in its infant like state you know back to the earth is like gave me chills all over my body yeah Mm. it
1: was such a unique profound uh it's not even a lesson you know mm-hmm. it's like it, i feel like it was the one of the biggest gifts of my whole life yeah yeah and i think you're speaking of something that's very interesting which is it's nervous system attunement <laughs> deep nervous system attunement and what happens when you are connected so deeply with someone who has either become your family or has come through your body and literally shares you know a nervous system imprint with you um And in this case, you know, part of me, at least the egg version of me was in her body. And so the communication that that happens in those spaces is is really, really fast, really rapid and not coming from the mind. It's coming from the felt sense. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's a really interesting space because it happens a lot in birth. When you sync up with a mom, when I sync up with a mom, I can't leave her side cause I can feel like everything that she's feeling in those moments. And so stepping away when I can actually feel that, like we're in this charged kind of uh, bubble with each other mm-hmm. and that my nervous system is actually helping her nervous system open. I really felt that with my grandma, especially, especially at I think day three. Um. You know, it's it's not for the faint of heart to traverse death in that elongated way mm-hmm. and in a way that was mostly unmedicated. And so you weren't, she wasn't trying to eject. We weren't trying to eject. Uh, we gave her morphine at the end because she was in a lot of pain, um, but she was very present to the fact that she was dying. And so imagine five days with your body failing, mm-hmm what that requires of you in terms of your inner strength. And, um, I saw that in her a lot. So on day three, I think was probably one of our harder days. It was before she was fully shutting down and and sleeping for most of the time. Mm -hmm. So she was still awake, but she was in a lot of, uh, discomfort and at the point of no return really, you know, and there were these moments where I could feel that my assurance that it was safe and okay for her. And this sounds, it almost sounds uh, silly trying to explain it, you know, trying to explain how when someone's dying, saying to them, it's okay to go. We all naturally kind of say that, you know, it's okay to go. Like that's the thing we're used to seeing in movies and talking Mm -hmm. about But I think that comes from a really instinctual place that we are alive from the time we take our very first breath, and our breath tethers us to our bodies. And our spirits are tethered to our bodies in a way that they actually need time to untether. And I watched that with her a lot. She would kind of start to hover up and above and kind of let go and move into this space. And then she would drop right back in and you know she was surrounded by her children and her grandchildren and the permission and the grief that happens in leaving those things behind to transition to something that you may or may not um you certainly don't know what's coming but some people have a little more comfort heading in that direction yeah. and i i watched these moments where you know, especially when I was alone with her and there wasn't a lot of people in the room where I would sing to her and I was um, holding her hand and really just helping kind of hold the door open where she was able to relax into it and things started to change and it was just amazing because there's so much of dying that is consciously letting go. Mm -hmm. and and honoring that the length of time that it takes to consciously let go of the world that you know the only world that you know and remember yeah is uh yeah
0: and my other guest michelle who i uh, chatted with earlier this week she transitioned both of her parents which is very Mm -hmm. unique she was with her mom and her dad different times and one of the things we were talking about was around how so often, you know, people, the, the, the dying and the, the witnesses fear the death process because of regret, like unresolved, un, uncommunicated, Mm -hmm. unexpressed um, regret. And I'm curious if I know what you were saying about her being someone who lived very, unapologetically and kind of paved her own path like was there any regret in the space during the five days or do you feel like it was more a grief of just something of it being over of leaving the people that she loved and what was that like for you
1: she she had a long tail of this experience she had the five days but leading up to it she had about a year where she was like i am gonna die soon you know and her regrets started coming up there, and a lot of them actually were about her romantic relationships and how mm. she, she treated certain people, and um, <laughs> she started losing her memory about halfway through that year, and, you know, she would talk about one of her ex-boyfriends quite a bit,
0: mm.
1: and I thought it was really sweet. Um, Must
0: have had a fiery connection.
1: <laughs> yeah, they dated a few different times over a few different decades, so there was mm. a lot there with him. Um, but during the five days, so, you know, this is, I think my takeaway is this, is that there's a way to have a good death and you can prepare for death in the way you would for birth. You will never know exactly how it's going to unfold, but if you set the space right and you know who you want to be there and you have the support structures in place, it actually allows you to experience it in a way that is just so exquisite and um once in a lifetime and so she was at her home on the land that you know she's lived on for 30 plus years with all of her fruit trees and all of the beautiful orchard and she had her three children there my mom and my two uncles she had her three of her six grandchildren there so me and my two sisters um and then my two sons and then she had friends coming by to say goodbyes during her waking days So she had, there was a fullness in her house. There was a fullness in the space um, that I think really honored what was most important to her in life. Like she was literally surrounded by love. She wasn't alone. She was never left alone in her room. Um, We did give her space to kind of be in her own field at times where, you know, we weren't all hovering over her, but for the most part, we just, we sang her to the other side. And it was the only thing that really felt appropriate. It was the only thing that uh, made sense. It brought so much beauty into the space. It brought out her responsiveness. And I I think there's something ancient about vocalizing and song that it hits us in such a deeper way than linguistic communication, Mm -hmm. again. And so, you know, even when she, at the very, very, very end, when she, you know quote unquote wasn't conscious anymore her eyes weren't opening um she was just kind of like able to mm, like moan here and there her she was sinking her moans with my mom singing to her and when my mom would stop she would moan and like signal us that the 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 songs were helping her and so we really we sang to her through the whole space and then some in the very end and um
0: yeah, I don't remember
1: what your original question was, but that's, that's okay. where we ended doesn't, up. <laughs> doesn't really
0: matter. Can I ask what you what you sang, or some of yeah. the things that you guys sang to her?
1: Yeah, so my mom is a singer-songwriter, and uh, we sang a lot of her music that my grandma recognized. We sang a lot of old songs from the nineteen seventies and sixties that she loved to dance to. Uh, we sang my sisters both have choral backgrounds. So they sang some beautiful, uh, or, or not orchestra. Um, like I can't think of the words. Yeah, yeah, some hymns and some just really beautiful cappella is what I meant to say. Um, and then I, I like to sing what comes through me. And so I had some songs that came that were uniquely, I think,
0: mm.
1: only for her yeah. and, really, really special. There was one moment, one that I kept singing kind of repetitively to her and just stroking her hair and she was looking in my eyes and um, yeah, it was a moment I'll never forget because it was so much was being communicated in the space.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think something that so many people also fear about the dying process is the, the grief that they'll be overwhelmed by grief and they won't be able, I think people stay away and they avoid it because we, as a society, like we don't know how to sit with deep grief. If we think about our friends who have had miscarriages or lost spouses or like anyone who's lost anything, when you're in that, those throws of really deep grief, I call it, we we have got the people who are the avoiders and the people who go into tuna casserole mode. And it's like, the casserole is not for the grieved. It's for the person who doesn't know what to do. yeah and so I think the, the grief is so intimidating. It's like, how can I even be present? And in a way, I mean, there's zero judgment around this. This is what it is to be human. But I think um, to me, and this is a conflict I've had before, it's like, I feel selfish for not, you know, cause it's not about you really. Like it's about the person leaving. And if they want you there, like you just, you find a way to be there, even when it feels really impossible, even when it's really personal to you and the loss is really great. And so one thing I wanted to hear you speak about was just the joy that was also present because while it is such a deeply, can be such a deeply painful experience, it's just like, it's just like birth, right? Like there's so much agony and pain in moments, but also like, moments later, you know, in the same moment, you can have just this burst of joy or presence or pleasure that happens. And I was curious what that looked like for you, because I, I remember being struck by what you, like you posted just a couple things on Instagram during that time, not very much at all, but it was, and I could be totally remembering this wrong, but I feel like it was you and your sister, like Skipping down the hall in bathrobes or something. Like, I don't oh, know, or like standing yeah, together. And yeah, 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 yeah. I just remember thinking, like, I, I, you know, I had a sense of where you were and what you guys were doing, but also just that the joy that was between you and the sense of like celebration and presence that was happening. I would love to hear about that part too, because I don't think it yeah. doesn't get talked about either. When we avoid the topic altogether, we don't get to talk about the nuances of it at all.
1: Yeah. Well, grief is the deepest illumination of love. You know, grief is is the backside, the other part of the heart of love. Because the deeper we grieve someone or something, um, the deeper we've loved them and allowed ourselves to be moved and touched by them in our lives. And when that intense of a field of grief is present, I believe that if you allow it, that amount of love is also present. Okay. And so there's a couple pieces that I think are important to pull apart there. Um, the first is that we, we don't experience feelings like in a vacuum. They are complex and they can all be present at the same time. And the joy in being together as a family for that moment, where there was so much awareness about how intense it was and how immense it was going to be to lose her, you know, kind of the matriarch. Not kind of, she absolutely was the the matriarch of our family. Um, And in that, there was an awareness about the significance of what we were doing. And so there was deep sorrow, but the joy came from uh, the gift of being in that moment together and being able to hold each other and the illumination that comes from somebody you love dying in front of you, knowing that every other person around you will also either be lost to you or you to them. And it's really in that space that death reminds us that uh, we're all so fragile and we have, cannot predict what's going to happen. And so I think that recipe allows for a whole concoction of emotions to arise that you wouldn't anticipate, you know, like uncontrollable laughter mm-hmm. and, um, deep, intimate connection with the people you're sharing the experience with. And my sister and I, you know, my grandma's known for her pajamas and her bathrobes. She had like 12 bathrobes and tons of these long, like old fashioned nightgowns. I aspire to be her when I grow up. Exactly. (laughs) And like, you know, sometimes the only things that make sense is to bring joy and to have fun and play in those moments, because that's what, keeps us alive and human. And so my sister and I, you know, we braided our hair and put on her big flannel pajamas. And after a long day of just being with so much, I mean, we wept at her bedside for days. There was moments that were truly, you know, you think you're not going to get away from the tears because they're so intense. Um, And then on the flip side of that, you've crested a wave and you come into an openness in your body that allows for a lot of spontaneity and joy. And, um, you know, we were decorating for Christmas and my son decorated the whole house. And like, you know, there was just these moments that, that, uh, it's like a big recipe of Mm -hmm. everything all at once. Um, yeah.
0: What was it like to share this experience or pieces of experience or even to, to just embody the experience in front of your son.
1: Yeah. both. so both of my sons were there for the most part, um, a majority of the time mm-hmm. they weren't in the room when she passed, but they spent a lot of time connecting with her. And I think it's special. We, you know, we started this conversation out with the fact that aspects of our life are so shoved behind closed doors. That society is deemed inappropriate or um, like we want to avoid it. And we have that in our society around sex and we have it most, for the most part around birth, that's mm-hmm. put in a very specific place. It certainly happens with death. We do not want to see it. We avoid old age. We do not want to see people getting older. We want to stay permanently young and youthful. And I don't know where I was going with that particular thread, but
0: Just involving your sons and allowing them to see the process. yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Allowing them to see it.
1: Yeah. So what I, the takeaway for me was that it's such a natural completion of a relationship with somebody, you know, I think it's actually much more shocking for someone to be there and then they're not there anymore and you haven't been able to witness their transition. And so for five days for a young person to be exposed to their great grandma who they've known with certain capacities, start to change and turn into a very different version of themselves. It, it allows for, I think, an emotional integration that's actually a lot, uh, a lot more holistic than if someone just is suddenly not there and it's kept away from them. Mm-hmm. That to me is the shocking yeah. part.
0: Well, and it also feels like the aftermath of the loss, lands quite differently. It's not to say yeah. that it's better or easier necessarily, although maybe we would say that, but at the same time, when you have been so present and you have had that time and you have gone through the waves, there is this sense of like, I I was there for them. I received them. I got every last minute of time that I could with them. And there's a piece in that, I think that is different than when you know someone is dying and you're you can't be there or they're ripped away very suddenly and you're left with everything after you didn't have a chance to be present to it while it was happening mm-hmm. can you speak to that a little bit yeah do you feel like that
1: yeah absolutely i very much think that um it just lands in our hearts and in our nervous systems in a much deeper way in a way that we can digest completely and the first the very first thing I felt after she took her last breath was relief and that surprised me I thought I would you know burst into tears and feel this sense of emptiness but in fact I had just gotten one of the most enrich enriching full experiences of her for five days straight you know And when she took her last breath, uh, I think the other thing I posted was this photo of me and my mom just like smile crying. Mm -hmm. And we were so sad, but we were so relieved for her because she worked so hard. And when she finally was able to let go, it was like, we all could take a deep breath and know that really that sense of like somebody's at peace. I mean, again, these things that we hear, like, oh, they're at peace now. It's like actually that was true because she was in the last moments, you know, even struggling to like breathe and gasping for air. And, you know, and so the last breath is in in the context of a 93-year-old who's lived a very full life and certainly has no regrets that I know of. Mm. Uh, it was a, a deep relief for us. And, and the grief came later, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of and it's not like that stops coming, like the missing uh, person <laughs> oh, yeah. In, in, yeah. in this field, not to say that they're not yeah. with us and that we don't feel them and get winks from them and yeah. that sort of thing after, but just the, the absence, it hits you yeah. at weird times.
1: <laughs> totally. The tangible, I wish I could hug her. I wish I could call her. You know, I wish. Um, I wish to hear her voice. And that's those are the things that happen in those little moments of life where you're, you know, it make you really grateful then and know that the moments that you're having now with the people who you're so used to having in your life, you probably take for granted every moment, Um, you know, have all of her voicemails saved Mm -hmm. and listening to these very mundane, you know, hey, I'm calling to check on his reading is he doing his reading today and i'm just listening to them over and over going like "Wow, what, a, what an incredible incredible person yeah. that i have loved and mm. will miss every day for the rest of my life
0: and how grateful
1: yeah yeah who have been able to love that way
0: yeah
1: mm. yeah yeah It's good. It should. That's what it's made for, you know? Yeah.
0: And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Like, I know that that's, these are the kind of experiences that are really sacred, but something I think, I feel like I've always intuitively had this sense, but having a child has made it more pronounced is that sacred doesn't mean secret, right? Mm, It's like sacred is something that like the potency of that is something that should be shared. And I think there are things I mean, it's, it's the same side of a, you know, or the different side of us, the same coin. We were talking about how like death and birth and all of those things, it's like, we kind of keep them like behind closed doors. And it's the same way with profound experiences where honestly, I just, we don't know what to share and what not to share. That is clear to me. Like people do not, the, the shit that gets shared versus the stuff that maybe like we should be talking about. That's a whole thing. Um, But I do, I, one thing that I find incredibly supportive in this conversation is that you are so immersed and experienced in, in the realm of birth and, you know, even the, the intimacies of midlife, but also I kind of want to just spend a minute. I know we've done it some, but just the, the thought of where the process, like we've talked about how preparing for birth and death, like how they can be similar, Mm -hmm. but are there any ways that they should be treated differently? Yeah, that's
1: a good question. And I think to, you know, to begin that what is one of the key takeaways for me was I was shocked at how similar birth and death were. I was, I mean, I, I know that people work in these fields and it's similar. I've heard the stories, um, but to experience it firsthand and to go, Oh, this is the birth field. It's very familiar both to my body personally, but also because of the work I've done. Um, and you know, it needs to be held with reverence and it it needs to be held in the same way that you would a birthing mother, you know, in, in this case, a person's literally birthing themselves to the other side of, what we don't exactly know um, and can only perceive so in that space I think the field like preparing the field is similar you know the the like keeping the space rather uh, held with reverence you know <laughs> we had some funny moments when friends would come in and say goodbye to her and you could feel the different energies of people coming in, you know. The disruption. So, yeah. Oh, the disruption. <laughs> and it actually at one point it woke her wide up and she had a conversation for the first time in a few days, which was great. It cheered everyone up. But her friend came in and she just started almost yelling over her like, Hi Rose, you know, and shaking <laughs> her leg and like I was like, what is, what is going on? Right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the last thing you do. Um Oh, you know, we're not trained in this and it ended up being okay. But I do think, you know, what's the thing that carries people through both experiences is our love, but the end result typically in a birthing experience, unless it's a you know, pregnancy loss of some kind or something happens to the mother or baby is buoyed by joy and a coming of life. And so what you're looking towards is a different, it's an entrance and it's a blossoming open. And I, I think that, you know, the field of birth is this closure and it's a completion. And um, I think that the big difference in the preparation is for the people that are left behind because that's who is left with the grief and the sorrow that the person who has died is saved. Been relieved of their duties. They're on to so, bigger and better things. Yeah. And so, in this sense, it's not caring for the mother and the baby and, and the immediate, you know, kind of family. It's caring for the immediate family that has gone through the loss and those closest to them and the grief that ensues. Um, and there are really beautiful cultures that have much more intact dying and death rituals that focus so much on which is interesting, those first 40 days after somebody dies, which is the exact same window after birth. After it's the birth. 40, yeah. 40 days where this portal is very open. It's very tender, very intimate. Um, and the first 40 days for the people who have you know loved this person and, and held them should be tended to. And I, I think that is the type of preparation, you know, where the food comes in. To me, the food is this old, like, memory that we have that people aren't going to cook themselves food when they're in such deep emotional states. Yeah. They're not even remembered to shower. You don't when you have a baby. You don't when someone just died. And so the caring then just becomes, like, uh, how can we support their life, their living, so that they can be in the state that they need to be in to, to mm-hmm. grieve? And that is really through food and rest and and comfort and care.
0: Yeah. So bring food, just check and see what I want to eat. I like good food. (laughs) Nobody likes a tuna casserole. Yeah, no tuna casserole.
1: (laughs) Exactly. This is like, that's like the beautiful piece, right? Is we have all of these biologically understood rituals that are very much intact in our subconscious memory, um, but not intact in our culture. And so that's, to me, that's like that. Sweet shred of what we want to do when we care for people. Let's bring them food. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's beautiful. You know, make it good. Make it, yeah, make it good.
0: Make it good. Take into account dietary restrictions and whatnot, you know? Exactly. exactly. Really let it, make it be in service of the person you're taking it to.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Do you have any, so for people listening, like something that I'm really hoping that they're, drawing from these conversations is that we can do death so much differently than we do. There are, there are options. Like it doesn't have to be the way that it is and that it has been. And that, I mean, there are like, I have had an experience similar to this, but it wasn't someone who was related to me. And it was a very interesting thing altogether. She popped into my life in a cosmic way. And we had the last six months of her life together. And it was very, very interesting and impactful. But I think that this isn't something that people are used to thinking about. And when they think about the end of someone's life, I mean, even the way it's projected in TV and movies, (laughs) just like birth, just like sex, totally unrealistic and completely uneducated. But there is this sense of, oh, this looks like you know, maybe moving to someone's house to take over their estate or like camping out in a chair in the hospital, or, you know, like we have these kind of images that we associate with the process of dying. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so I really want them to get a sense that it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be like, it will always be something that is hard and painful and filled with grief, but it doesn't have to be an ugly, restrictive, like it doesn't have to be a traumatic experience. It might Mm -hmm. be a painful experience, but it doesn't have to be traumatic. And the same thing can be said of birth as someone who birthed my daughter at home, um, completely. I mean, that was one of the most empowering experiences I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you would use the word empowering, but I do think that it can be a very And I could be wrong. You could share your reflection on that, but I think it could be a very nourishing experience and a deeply one that is deeply felt for the rest of your life if we could just approach it differently when
1: possible. Yeah, trauma is this interesting word because we have, you know, there's trauma itself, which is the way that the body experiences an experience, and two people can have the exact same experience, and one can leave with. Um, you know, their nervous system deeply impacted in a way that registers as trauma in the body, which is the inability to really like be in the body and, and digest that experience. And so to me, a lot of the times there's of course, complex trauma, which happens over longer periods of time, but um, trauma often comes from shock
0: mm-hmm.
1: and from uh, something so overwhelmingly emotional that you can't fully process it in the moment and um, or do anything about it in the moment. A lot of it has to do with the ability to have agency, you know, to engage your social engagement system, to engage the people around you for a sense of safety and, or to move your body, to use your voice, those things that help our nervous system register an experience as one that we are uh, a part of not happening to us in a forceful way. And so yes, death can absolutely be nourishing. Um, And it's not always because a lot of death is shocking Mm -hmm. and a lot of death is sudden. Um, And whether we label it as traumatic or not, it is one of the Larger and more impactful emotional experiences of our life, so it may register as trauma just because of the loss itself and the mm-hmm. size of the loss itself, um, or feel traumatic in that way, even if it's not. Mm-hmm. I, I know that not everyone's really nuanced in the role of trauma, so I don't want. No, get but into I love it. that you.
0: No, but I love that you brought that frame to it because we yeah. also don't want on on either side. It's like yeah. there's there's nothing. You can't always avoid drama. Yeah. It's not like you can avoid trauma by like doing death right. Like that's not <laughs> all that is being said. Yeah. Um, but also understanding that there are so many options when you're taking a holistic approach like mm-hmm. this to offer that sense of choice and agency and potential and potentially minimizing opportunity for feeling like it's happening to the person instead of, yes, um, it's a process that involves yeah. you and them.
1: Yeah. And that to me is the the preparation, the yeah. ability to foresee, you know, either like this person and our family is dying or, uh, you know, preparing yourself because yeah. you're at a, a place where you're facing that. Yeah. And I think that the preparation, like the setting of the stage allows for a lot more spaciousness within the experience and for it not to feel as surprising or shocking.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So she weird. said like oh, yeah, no, no, something funny um in one of her waking moments my uncle came in and, and he shook her leg and he's was a little more one of those people who kind of like you know not not as tender <laughs> <laughs> which is totally stressed, his nature yeah. and it's okay and he shook her leg and he goes how you doing ma you know and she's literally like <laughs> laying there like asleep or wherever she is and uh she opens her eyes kind of in this shocked way and with she has this slur but she basically said to him well, how do you think I'm doing you know in her like humor she's like steeped in the awareness that she was in the process of dying but not and great just, to be honest <laughs> yeah, I do not think I'd do and it just was so funny it was so funny yeah <laughs> she made me laugh so funny. Oh, she no. actually my um, I'll share one more hilarious memory of that experience which was when we were changing her nightgown and um I don't know what was going on for her. I really don't know what if she was in a kind of like psychedelic state or not. We were probably 3 or 4 days deep and we my sister and I had to take her nightgown off and we were pulling it over her head and her arms were really stiff and kind of like in this like weird.
0: Like T-Rex arms. You're trying to get a nightgown arms. over the exactly, elbow. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. And her little naked body. And you know, she had lost so much weight. And her eyes were closed and she had this smile that almost looked like a jack-o'-lantern, or like it was such a funny, huge smile. And she was cracking up. I mean, she was doing this laugh. She was laughing like this. She was going,
0: oh,
1: oh, oh. And I was like, I do not know what was happening, but we had tears rolling down our faces because of this strangeness of what was that? I mean, it just whatever was, so was so happening to her,
0: she was having a good time. Like oh, she,
1: she was having a great, Was that's called a guffaw in the South. Oh. Like she was guffawing. She was guffawing. And I think she was guffawing. <laughs> I think she was cognizant enough that she was just like, this is so ridiculous. You know, my she granddaughter, like, my body's not working. My granddaughters are changing my nightgown. I'm
0: literally my elbows dying. are stuck yeah. closed. Like I just, yeah. Yeah. She's yeah.
1: like, what
0: else are we going to do about this?
1: Literally. Good it enough. was, it just, it like pierced me in this way, you know, the humanity of it.
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. I love that. I do love that. Because there are, I mean, we've all had those moments where you're like, I don't know what else to do right now. The situation <laughs> is so strange. And so it's nothing that we've ever spent any time thinking about what we would yeah. do when we got here. So like, we're just gonna, yeah. we're gonna laugh. It's yep. That's a form of release is laughter as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think is important and I, a lot of people intuitively feel this, but obviously to be present to a death, the same as to be present to a birth, like it's, it's a calling. It's not something that everybody can or should do. And so I I want everyone listening to know that in no way, am I suggesting that you should all go out and become death dealers. That is not, (laughs) that is not likely. Um, But I do think that something that's very important when being in either of these roles is knowing, is knowing your capacity and knowing how to protect that and keep it, um, at what's the word I'm looking for, but basically it's the self-care component. It's like, how do I, as a caretaker, stay resourced so that I can be present and give the maximum of my attention and my presence and my, myself to this experience. Yeah. Do you have any wisdom around that or suggestions for people who, who may have this opportunity, like dying doesn't always happen in a, it's like, oh, you have five days to get here. And like in this, like, it doesn't always happen like that. But if you, if people know someone who is at the end of their life and they want to be present for that. Are there some like tangible ways yeah. that they could protect and resource themselves during that experience so that they can bring the best of themselves to the experience?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, at one point during the five days, one of the last caretakers, cause she did have hospice, which was so helpful and useful, um, so we had a support structure there that wasn't just us and not everyone can have that, but that extra layer allowed for a lot more fluidity in the space for the self-care for the showering and the eating and the drinking of water and the sleep. Um, I could go to sleep if I needed to and know that someone was there by her bedside watching her every move. And at a really I don't want to say like a really well done birth, but like a really well-prepared birth field has layers of caretaking happening. It has the immediate birthing person and their partner if they have one. And then the the kind of medical hands-on team. So midwife, doctor, doula, you know, maybe it's a parent or a sister that's there kind of assisting the actual physical activity of birthing and then the third layer of it which i find to be so helpful and encourage everyone to have is the layer of the people who are caretaking the caretakers. And you really need that. You really need to have food ready and available for those 5 minutes you get a break. Drinks ready and available, coconut water or, you know, deeply hydrating things. A nap station, like places where people can go just to do a little reset. And i believe the same during the the dying process I had a friend actually who I was talking to last night whose mom died two days ago and she was in the same role that I was where she just synced up so deeply that she didn't drink water Mm -hmm. and finally someone walked in and said like hey have you had any water have you sat down you know and um so the idea of having that structure, you know, make a huge batch of kitchery with ghee and nutritional yeast and Himalayan salt. Like I had someone bring that to a birth and I ate 40 bowls. I really oh I was like, Same. So I good. Eat
0: a 16 quart pot yeah.
1: of kitchery. <laughs> yeah. So that the, like feed the team, like let there be abundance of food, let there be an abundance of nourishment and water and places to rest. Um, because those little five minute, 25 minute, resets will give you enough energy to continue on. Um, Because in birth, whether you're the birthing person or you're the doula or the friend, you'll hit points, especially if it's a long labor where you can't go on. You're like, absolutely. I am done. I can't keep my eyes open and you have to keep going. And the same with death by the end of it, I was trying to leave the room. I was like, I can't, I'm on day five. I haven't slept. It's three in the morning. I am exiting this room and I don't think she needs me here when she dies. You know, the, the biology takes over. Um, And in that moment I took a breath, I turned around, I went and sat down and luckily I was there because she died 10 minutes later, mm-hmm. but there, there will always be those points in these very rigorous physical endurance uh the marathon of attending something requires so much of your attention and presence so take care of the body and then it will carry you through thank you yeah
0: yeah do you think that you will attend any more deaths after having this experience
1: i you know my whole life have avoided death because it scared me and there's almost like a superstition in my mind like when that when you're close to it it means like more of it will find you you know I I just really like um which part of being in the room with her as she died helped really normalize and quell that fear around it because it was so normal it just felt so like yeah this is what we do when we're done. I uh it's interesting a, a few months before this experience I was studying with my teacher John Wineland. um oh God, I love John he's amazing. <laughs> so he's amazing yeah he's amazing and uh a dear friend had just passed away and um there was a lot of death in the field in my immediate Network of people. It was one of those waves where just quite a number of people had died all at once, and so I was feeling really, really tender. And um, John had also experienced some some death in his community, and so we were at a, I think it was a seven day intensive. And day two, you know, he was doing a lot of work with us around dying, a lot of embodiment work around dying, you know, and meditations. Imagine letting go of this life. Imagine, you know, all of these things. And I was so triggered by the end of the second day, we had done like three different rituals and or practices where we were facing the possibility of our own death or someone we love dying. And I hated it. Mm -hmm. And I, I was, you know, shaking by the end of the second night and I left in tears, kind of like slithered out of the room and barely made it to my hotel room. And cried all night and I came, I came to him the next day and i was like i don't want any more death i don't want any more like we've done you know my friend died and we've done this exercise and this practice and i'm done with it i don't i want life i don't want death you know and i it was hilarious and he laughed at me and he was like of course you don't you know of course (laughs) like you were a a life-giving being like that is the feminine or you know like archetypal
0: uh,
1: principle and aspect of what what the female body does is brings life into the world and so um it was at that moment that I kind of declared for myself that you know, my, my purpose and my focus right now will be on life-giving. Mm. And I do think death is life-giving yeah. after experiencing that with my grandma. I think it gave us a new perspective and in that sense it is life-giving, but I don't think I'll bring it into my
0: mm.
1: work just yet. I, I feel like maybe when I'm a little older, yeah. but it, it feels um, a right. touch
0: too close. Yeah. Focused on the living right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Is there anything kind of in the, in the gentle wrapping of this beautiful conversation? Is there any other like little moments or antidotes or like whispers that have popped in that you would like to share even just to commit to kind of like virtual diary?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was one there was one that was my favorite that I think I'd like to go out with, which is yeah. the the comedy of connecting with a dying person. Is that it's your last chance to give your all and, and to be with them, and it's your last chance to know each other in deeper ways. And I think more than anything else, um, being in that space with my grandma, we got to know each other in she got to see me in ways that she had never seen me before. And it was really fascinating. You know, she's 93. She's very, uh, she grew up in a highly different era. era. So even though she had a lot of, um, she pushed a lot of boundaries in her own life, they weren't necessarily the same boundaries that I, I push. And so my boundaries to her, my, the things that I explore are very like weird to her. Very (laughs) odd, (laughs) you know, she's like, who are you? What are you doing? Um, and so one of them is, you know, my, my spirituality, she's Methodist. She's very like, had a kind of Christian, you know, uh, relating to the spiritual world. And so at one point I went in and I was like, you know, I'm going to do like a cleansing for her just cleanse her bedroom cleanse her body cleanse the space from anything that maybe is coming in and causing fear or worry or concern for her um, bring some plants in, bring some song in and uh, she was a lover of owls and so I went and <laughs> kind of like put together this makeshift clearing where I got lavender from her garden and white sage from her garden. And, uh, I brought in, she has an owl whistle. That sounds like an owl hooting. A little and, owl
0: call. Yeah. And I
1: mean, there's so much significance to owls and their relationship with death and the other world too. And so, um, <laughs> and she was awake, but she couldn't speak. And so I was just sharing with her like what we were, <laughs> here's what I'm going to do, you know? And she really had her no, eyes. Oh yeah. So, so I'm singing over her and like taking things and like, you know, sweeping her with the lavender and doing like a, you know, with water and just kind of like helping purify in her face, her, the look on her face. And for people listening, you won't be able to see this, but she, she opened her eyes really big and looked at me with this kind of like, what are you doing? And then she rolled her eyes like she was smiling big, but she kind of rolled her eyes like, "Whoa, whoa, okay. like, yeah, totally." She was like, "What is this?" You know, and yeah. it just—it was hysterical because I realized even in those last moments, like she was getting to know me and see me in a much deeper way than maybe anyone in my family mm. has experienced, and uh, it was—it was really phenomenal. It really touched me. <laughs> it so funny. It's
0: like my it's like seventy. Four-year-old Polish nanny. She'll, you know, <laughs> so we'll be sharing stuff or talking about stuff, and she, she's very, very open-minded. And also, like, she's ever kind out. Of she'll be like, "Kristen, that is-, is fucking weird," but I like it. <laughs> I like it. Exactly. Like, that is some weird shit. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but that's I love. I love that reflection on just and such a powerful reminder. It's like this this is it. Like it's imminent. So if there's anything that you haven't said or anything that you haven't revealed or, you know, a way of being known that you want to be known before mm-hmm. this is over, like, don't, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate yeah. to take that, to take that opportunity and to yeah show up in that way.
1: Yeah. I, I like the question, you know, how deep can we go? Yeah. That's the question I ask in every, every birth. I'm like, Oh, how deep can we go? I'm like, I really love like the the most deep depths, like that's where I swim and stay. Mm-hmm. Sex are the same. I'm like, how deep,
0: mm-hmm. how oh, deep yeah. can we go here? Me. That's the first thing I thought. Yeah, exactly. Um, well,
1: and, well, and with death, it's the same. How yeah. psychedelic, how deep, how mystic, how connected, how otherworldly mm-hmm. and magical can we go? And there, it's, it's really infinite possibility.
0: And for everyone who's listening to this podcast, who knows me, they know, and you don't, that my word or my my one word mantra intention for the year is depth. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm there with you. Conversation and that in that series. So I am so honored to to hold your story and your experience Mm -hmm. and to share it. And I'm so grateful. Thank you.
1: Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me. Yeah, appreciate it. It's a great conversation. Important.
0: Mm, so important. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Kiana. You're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hands on my heart. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening with an open and curious mind. Anne Voskamp says shame dies when stories are told in safe places. I would be so grateful for your help to expand the safety we're creating here by subscribing, rating, and sharing this show with the folks you love. Let's keep nothing important confidential.